Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. A hundred years ago, if you worked in an office, you'd likely have been crammed into a large room sitting shoulder to shoulder with your colleagues and endless rows of desks. Designed to maximise productivity, these offices made it easy for managers to supervise staff but were terrible for morale. By the 1960s, offices had evolved into a cubicle layout, giving team members private small spaces within a larger office space. These three-wall cubicles were intended to create more personalised experience in the workplace while still allowing people to converse with colleagues. Unfortunately, they had quite the opposite effect, compartmentalising workers and discouraging interaction. Then came open-plan workplaces and hot desking. And then came a pandemic that demanded we all work from home more than ever if our jobs allowed for it. Since the pandemic, which prompted flexible work arrangements, the function of the office has also shifted to provide more of the experiences we rarely encounter at home, connection, engagement, collaboration, all of which are key elements in creating an inclusive workplace. Angela Ferguson is one of Australia's leading experts in workplace strategy and workplace interior design. For more than 20 years, she's worked with a diverse range of corporate clients across Australia, Asia and New Zealand to strategize and create workplaces that align with the organization's business strategy, culture brand, technology, blueprint, and wellness initiatives. Angela's been passionate about the future of work since the early days of her career. As co-founder of the Future X Collective and Managing Creative Director of Future Space, Angela brings an intelligence to workspace design that's unique and has a global focus, designing workplaces that consider elements such as how is the business situated amongst its competitors, the challenges that may be facing from outside forces, efficient property strategies, and how the experience of work can be optimised for both individuals and teams. She's a smart lady and she's currently studying a PhD at R. MIT University in Melbourne with the title Design at Work, Writing the Future. And of course, we're chatting today about workplace design. So welcome to the politics of everything. Thank you, Amber. Thanks for having me. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the politics of everything, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless, the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me, I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound, and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor. It's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automate post-productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. 
So, young Angela, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Was it was it an architect or something like that? Do you remember those early days of what you thought you'd be and did you kind of get there? Yeah, look, there were a few sort of different things I thought I'd like to be. One of them was uh, a singer on a talent show, which uh, never really eventuated because oh, I Oh, there's still sing. time, Angela. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more reality TV around now. But, um, yeah, look, I think I always knew I'd do something creative but wasn't quite sure what that was. And initially I thought it was graphic design and I studied it. I went to TAFE actually first because, you know, they had lots of different courses there. So they had painting and art and sculpture and graphic design and, you know, filmmaking and photography. And so I tried all these different things. And what I eventually came to realise was that I wanted to do something more three-dimensional because I had, I'd actually grown up playing outdoors and I'd grown up riding my bike and playing on building sites with my siblings. And, you know, that, that idea of kind of nature and physical space was really important to me and was a, a kind of value that I had, that connection to, to nature from the interiors that we inhabited. And that, that led to me thinking, oh, there must be a cause that you can do about that because this was before the internet and before reality TV and all those renovation shows. And, yeah, I came to figure out that there was a course called interior design. And so I went to RMIT and studied there. And yeah, the rest is kind of history, really. Excellent. Something we uh, touched on when I was thinking about the prep for today, and I know the agency that you work with, we mentioned this, and it was originally going to be the topic, but I thought we need to go broader because of all your expertise. Work emails are something which all of us have to live with if we're in an office environment and even offsite, I guess, you know, a lot of my clients that might be in engineering and, and so forth definitely rely on their digital comms, that we need to manage it better though. Can you give us examples of how you think that can be incorporated into the way we think about, you know, workplaces and workspaces, particularly in that 24-7 digital communications world. Like I almost mourn that time when I started my career in the 90s where I really, when I logged off from work, it was kind of ish. Yes, it mm. did tether me to my desk a bit as a journalist, but it also meant me meant more freedom mentally. So I'm just wondering if you've got some top tips because I think most of us struggle with this. Yeah, look, I think, you know, there's a lot of drawbacks to email. I think initially, you know, when it first started, it was it was great. It kind of sped up our communication. But I think what's happened now is we've become overly reliant on it. And, you know, it's this endless cycle of constantly replying to emails. So people really need to learn to take back some of their power when it comes to email. Like not every email needs to be answered immediately not every email is urgent. You know, email is not a conversation. It's not a back and forth. It's not like a, a phone call. So, you know, some of the things that, that I do and I recommend for my team and, and others is that, you know, I have a rule where anything that I'm CC'd on goes to a different folder. So, you know, that cuts down the amount of stuff in my direct inbox. And I very rarely check that actually, only usually when I want to find out, you know, if somebody else has actioned something that I've asked them to do. And, you know, another sort of, I think another bad habit is that, you know, sometimes we just need to pick up the phone as well. So oh, there's a whole generation that doesn't want to do oh, that. I hate to be generational well, about yes. it. But I've actually run comms courses for in-house for businesses to actually help a younger generation know how to navigate the phone other than texting people. Yeah, I know. It's a tough one. And then, you know, there's those, you know, things like instant messaging, you know, apps and things as well that, you know, can be used instead of, instead of email. We try and we try and teach our people to actually, if it's going to be back and forth, you know, more than two or three times, that's when you pick up the phone, you know. But if, you know, if you're sharing documents, of course, I think email's fantastic for that. 
But, um, you know, you've got to become a lot more discerning about, you know, when you pick up the phone, when it should be an instant message or when, you know, this thing should be an email. And I think a lot of that comes with experience and a lot of that comes with leadership and culture and, you know, feeding some of that training through to the rest of the business. So what principles underlie a welcoming, motivating, functional workplace space that everyone loves for staff in 2023? It feels like utopia, even me putting it like that. Are there some things which are common across the work you do that really tick those boxes? Because I think a lot of us, having worked from home and remotely, obviously there's a reluctance for some people to go back to the office full time and flexibility is important, but also do workplaces have to work harder to get people to, to love being there? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think in many ways, I think the pandemic's been fantastic for workplace design because finally, you know, we're getting our moment in the sun. And but, you know, in in a a lot of other ways, I think it's been challenging because, you know, there's a lot of people coming out of the woodwork now and, you know, suddenly they're experts in workplace design. But, you know, it's something I've been doing for a really long time. And the best workplaces have a really good mix of collaborative space, social space and focus space. And prior to the pandemic, that mix was, um, you know, there was more of an emphasis on that, you know, collaborative and focus space and less so on the social. I think people, you know, prior to the pandemic really underestimated the value of that social space in the workspace. But what we're seeing now is that the main reason people are coming to the office is to socialise. So there's this new recognition that the social part of work and those really, you know, those, those ties that bind people together are so important you know often more important than you know what are the day-to-day deliverables if we can get you know if a business can get its people into the office to actually you know connect with each other and network then the rest kind of flows on from that in terms of engagement and, and productivity Absolutely. So how have you come to see that through that thoughtfully designed workplaces that can increase productivity, which at the end of the day, a lot of business leaders and owners kind of need to happen. It's great to be social and I'm sure that fosters that collaborative spirit, but we need to get stuff done too. How can this kind of work together to positively impact our well-being and experience? And then there's some studies which back this up because I can tell anecdotally how I feel when I've had a fantastic day in a client's office space where all the ideas are flowed and it's just really cut through some of that clutter if you like in my brain about how to organize my ideas for that particular project and just understand people's personalities and drivers but is there sort of evidence that this is true? Yeah look I think the my philosophy and you know even the reason I became an interior designer is that it was, has always been that people are the product of their environment so you know, if you create a great environment that, you know, ticks all the boxes around, you know, addressing our human needs and, um, you know, that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, giving people the ability to self-actualise in the workplace, then, you know, this is what makes the workplace successful. But I think the best evidence for us is really how it's working once people are in there. So we can always uh, strategize and, and design, you know, how a workplace is going to come together. But you never know 100% exactly how it's going to be used. So I think it's really important that, you know, when workplaces are created, some of that flexibility is built in. They're not static experiences. They're places that continue to evolve. And so for us, you know, we do a lot of things like we'll take prospective clients through projects that we've finished. And that's, you know, probably one of the best pieces of evidence that they can see in terms of how a workplace is coming together and addressing some of those specific needs for that business. So, 
you know, we hear lots of stories as well about, you know, we've got one client we finished a project for recently where uh, they were recruiting this person who was, uh, you know, a tech person. They really wanted them to come and work with them. But the business prior to this new environment had a perception of being a bit older and outdated. But, you know, they built this new, you know, very tech enabled. I'm picturing cubicles um, here, but I could be wrong. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, the old one. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, out in the burbs and, you know. Yeah, all yeah. That that's of, when you said yeah, yeah. old fashioned. I'm just picturing kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Little yeah, rabbit warrens, sort of, as I used to call yes, them. Yes. Dilbert sort of cubicles. But, yeah, so they've moved to this new sort of whiz bang environment. And the person that they were trying to recruit, you know, kept saying, no, no, no. And they said, look, we've just moved. Come and see our new space. And we'll show you how we're changing. And this recruit walked in the door and took one look at it and said, where do I sign up? You know, so to us, that's the evidence that, you know, the workplace is starting to meet some of those business goals. Absolutely. And it sounds sort of superficial, but as someone who even on my Instagram personal profile, I've got design lover because I love clever design, particularly of small spaces. But it can sound quite superficial, but we spend a lot of time at work and it does really impact not just your productivity, but your well-being and your your everyday excitement to maybe go to that space. I mean, I've worked in some very drab offices back in the day, and I think for a long time people saw that as a nice to have rather than something that's really going to enhance that employee yeah. experience. Yeah, that's right. It's essential. I mean, you know, I've seen workplaces that suck the life out of people. You know, and imagine, you know, we spend the facing the wall, no natural light. Yeah. <laughs> They're Awful. all the things I hate. Yeah. Terrible, yeah, yeah because absolutely. we see the befores and, um, yeah, they can be very depressing places. So workplace designs, like all sort of, you know, aspects of design probably have some trends. I'd love to pick your brain about what you're currently seeing, you know, what sort of briefs that you're kind of working on at the moment and those trends that might manifest themselves because it's flexible and hybrid workplaces are the norm. So, for example, I was in the city of Sydney yesterday at a client and we know that no office is 100% full anymore, not because people are taking sickies, but because, you know, people have that flexibility now to only come in a certain amount of days a week. So has that driven some of those decisions and what else are you seeing? Uh, so, look, we look at trends in in two ways. There's the aesthetic trends, which, you know, kind of I'm not so fussed about because whenever we create a workplace, we actually look at the brand, that client's brand, and align the aesthetic with the brand. So we're kind of never driven by by trend in that respect, uh, in an aesthetic way. But I think some of the the kind of bigger, you know, macro trends that we're seeing are things like, you know, companies are exploring that four-day week and, uh, you know, they're continuing to experiment with what works and what doesn't. So they're trying new settings in the workplace and loaning furniture or hiring furniture. And there's a recognition that, you know, across say, a business of a few hundred people, there's going to be lots of different teams within that business that work very differently. So what's best for one team or one individual might not necessarily be right for another team or another individual. So, you know, they're continuing to experiment and trial and test, which I think is, you know, a fantastic trend. Yeah, that's great. I've never thought about the borrowing of furniture and being able yeah. to sort of, I guess, adapt your space depending on what the what the business demands, you know, whether that be a, a training room with lots of breakout areas or perhaps, you know, some sort of audiovisual element to the to the design. There must be so many bits which people kind of as the business evolves and changes need to adapt to. 
Yeah, and, like, you know, people need to keep an open mind. Like, the day you move in, we never call that, like, that's really day one of the process for us because people move in and then, you know, that human element is actually what makes the space come alive. And so, uh, you know, that's when you need to start to keep an open mind and look at, okay, so, well, you know, is this right? Do we need to adapt and flex and, you know, do some things differently than we had initially thought perhaps? And that's often not just putting more people into a space because I'm thinking as a business grows, my natural thought is more humans, more, you know, more desks, if you like, in that office. But it could be other ideas I I could imagine. I'm not sure what they would be, but I, I could see the potential to kind of explore the ways in which your particular workforce operates. So that could be, you know, the IT team only come in three days a week or something like that. So that space could yeah. then perhaps be used for something else in the rest of the week. I'm thinking that, you know, being really economical with the use of space as well. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, we're actually seeing that spatial metrics have changed a bit. So because of the pandemic, people want to be a bit further apart now than they used to be. Social distancing. Um, Yeah, yes, the social distancing, but they want that perception that, you know, they're not overcrowded. And, uh, you know, the, the space isn't too dense. So there's that, that fine balance of, you know, what is enough density to create, you know, vibe and spark, but then what is enough, you know, room for people to move around and not feel like they're all on top of each other and they're, you know, physically compromised from a, you know, kind of cross-contamination perspective. But That's a good thing, uh, I think. I think yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even even ventilation and things like that because, you know, I know a lot of businesses have air conditioning and so forth, but, yeah, I think we all are very conscious that that's not always the best thing for our, for our general health, our day-to-day health in some ways. Mm. Yeah, and so, yeah, part of that too is we're seeing a lot of a trend towards, you know, not only mothers or parents' rooms but, you know, meditation rooms and prayer rooms and wellness rooms and spaces for people to do yoga and, you know, multi-purpose wellbeing spaces, which I think is a fantastic trend. You know, genius bars and help desks for the the IT people, they're actually really hard to get into come to come into the office at all because they can do everything remotely. They're yeah, and they're not sort of people centric jobs in a way, are they? They're very not traditionally. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and I'm just wondering, do you do do much sleeping pods? I always thought it was a terrible idea sleeping at work, but that's probably because. Yeah. I always just, I don't know, like I was always, you know, conscious that, yeah, my work colleagues are just outside and am I going to have a wrinkled dress afterwards? Will my makeup be squished? It's all very, you know, I don't think I could relax in, a, in an office and sleep personally. Yeah, no, I think I think they're sort of, they're a bit, I think people feel a bit vulnerable in them. We did put yeah. them in uh, one company many years ago, it was about 10 years ago, and uh, apparently after hours there were a couple that used it and they broke the sleep pod. They weren't actually sleeping. So, oh, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does welcome that activity, I think. It so does. It does. So I know in the vulnerability, and it's just interesting, like I, even if I was, you know, it's my company, I don't think I'd want to sleep at work, even no. though that probably, I mean, a good nap can be very invigorating, but I think I have to do it in my home. <laughs> yeah. But meditation's great. I mean, meditation's an amazing way to reset. Absolutely. You know, and that's something I think people do feel comfortable doing at work if you've got the right, you know, privacy around the space to be able to do that. 
Absolutely. Look, this is a bit of a loaded question, but I'm just wondering all the great design. And look, I interviewed the architect for the new Atlassian building in Sydney last year, yeah. and she was amazing. But, you know, I think big companies, big budgets, do they ha- can they do it better when it comes to workplace design flexibility because of that, I guess, financial stretch that they've got? Or are there other examples of great purposeful and successfully designed spaces that you rate that might not be, you know, your big end of town household name companies? Yeah, look, I don't necessarily think that larger companies have, I mean, they do have a, an advantage with a bigger budget. And, like you know, spending so they, a billion dollars on your building and that, you know, uh, yeah. apparently the last thing you only have to come into the office one day a year. So that's Oh, a, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> four times four times a year they want people to get together and yep. not necessarily in the office. But I think that whole Atlassian building I think is such an anomaly when it comes to workplace design. It's, I mean, it's not a... My point of view is it's not really a commercial exercise because nobody has got the ability to do what they're doing. Like they're kind of out of the stratosphere. But, you know, for your average company, I mean, you know, some of the big, you know, big banks and, uh, you know, big accounting firms and whatever, sure, have a bit more to spend, but they can be just as uh, frugal as someone without a big budget because, yeah, there's a lot of scrutiny about where, you know, a lot of public companies are spending their money. What we usually try and do is focus the budget on the initiatives that are, give, that are going to give people the most bang for buck or, you know, the most impact. So um, a big trend that we're seeing is people wanting sit-to-stand desks. Oh, I love so, my sit-to-stand. I'm on a standing desk exactly. now. I've never podcast sitting down for all sorts of reasons, but yeah, really yeah. life-changing, really. Yeah, so spending money on, you know, great chairs for people and a really good sit-to-stand desk that is, you know, it's it's a really easy to use, it's got a, you know, electronic function, it's quiet, you know, they're the sorts of things that people can spend their money on. And, you know, we can be very creative with paint, for example. So if you want a, you know, a fun, interesting, lively space, there are things that you can do with some of the more economical finishes and uh and materials and things but yeah so I think sometimes they you know bigger companies do have an advantage we've actually just refitted our workspace which is about we can probably accommodate about 30 people so it's not a large workspace and you know there are things that I wish I had more money to spend on and a few of the niceties we're going to have to wait for but you know the things that were really important to us and we talked to our team about you know what What were some of those things what was the key I guess you know ideas behind what you've ended up Yeah, the big ones for us were that open collaborative space. Uh, So we've got some areas that are screened off but are still in the open that are enabled by tech that allow people to do that social, those social activities, but also some of that collaborative work. And the other one was the quiet rooms. And that's something that we're seeing. Oh, I love a quiet room, particularly if you've got to do something really focused or deadline driven. I think absolutely yeah that's why people often want to work from home you'd have a big report to do and you didn't want interruptions and it's a really clear signal that you're currently not available for chit chat or collaboration well even now when we're doing so many calls on teams and zoom you know that can't be done in the open plan so the actual you know we're doubling the number of one to two person quiet rooms that we're putting into spaces now so we're actually doubling a lot of that built environment which is kind of an interesting trend post pandemic And a final trend I just want to ask you about, because it's very close to my heart, I'm actually studying a master's in environmental business management, is sustainability. Is that something which people, no matter their budget, are interested in, you know, being able to use recycled water perhaps in their building design or if they're retrofitting, being able to use recyclable, you know, 
materials or, you know, things that just aren't sort of fatty and just going to be chucked into landfill in two years' time? Is that something you're seeing as part of your brief more and more or not? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. definitely. It's a given now, you know, and it's particularly with, you know, a lot of companies looking to communicate their ESG initiatives to yes. all of their stakeholders. So that sustainability piece, like it's actually, I think, fantastic how it's evolved. It's become pretty much a given that we do it on any project. and um, But then it's also becoming part of that health and wellbeing story as well because you're choosing uh, low VOC materials and you're choosing, you know, things that don't provide, uh, things that contribute to a much healthier indoor air quality. And, you know, so there's that really holistic wellbeing story for the people inhabiting the space as well as, you know, the environment and the world around us. So changing tack a little bit, what is some of the best advice that you ever given? Who gave it to you and why do you really rate that advice? Yeah, look, I've had, um, that's a really great question, Amber, and I had to think quite hard about that one. So... I like to push people out of their comfort zone <laughs> a little bit. Or some people just, you know, they've got that tagline which is in their head because you know the university yeah. lecturer told it to them and it's always driven them or their father or something like that so it depends yeah I've got um I've probably got to, like I've had lots of great advice over the years and lots of different mentors and you know positive and negative really but um I think there's there's two that sticks in stick in my mind one is that Marianne Williamson that our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate you know, that whole piece of writing that she's done. And and the other one that kind of talks to that a little bit as well is that the Dr. Zeus saying where he says, be yourself because everybody else is taken. Like, I really love that. I um, When my business grew many years ago, it was probably about 12 years ago, I, uh, I thought for some reason I had to be somebody different. Like I had to be more serious, like more grown up and I don't know, just kind of different. And, and that saying, which I, I kind of read when my boy was little, you know, be yourself because everybody else has taken, it just reminds me often that, you know, there's nobody else like me and I actually, it's okay to be who I am. I don't have to be like other people. I can just, you know, do things my way and let's kind of go with the flow of life and ideas and business and everything that's happening and just see where I get to, you know. So, um, yeah, I just, I feel like that's a great one to bring into my life, not just work, but, you know, all of my life. Absolutely. Look, if we spoke again in 12 months' time, what would be your number one goal you would have hoped to have achieved and why that goal? Yeah, look, I think the biggest challenge um, that I'm finding in my work right now is that, so if I'm working with a company, pretty consistently their staff are saying they want to choose themselves what days they'll come and work from home and what days that they'll work from the office. And, you know, there's a bit of a conflict there. It's probably only about a day. So staff are saying they want to come in two days. Leaders are saying they want them in three days. And But at the same time, the biggest complaint people have when they get into the office is that when they do get there, the people, their colleagues that they wanted to see there are not there. So that's, that's a, a big problem to solve right now. But what my... So if we were to talk again in a year, I would hope that I've solved that and that, uh, and I think the answer, I've got this hunch that the answer is that the right sort of blend of people, place, technology tools in any given situation. But, you know, I'd love to be able to solve that because that's that's the thing I think most businesses are grappling with right now. Absolutely. Look, as we wrap up our conversation today, we have covered a lot, but what would be your final takeaway message for all of us listening on the politics of workplace design? 
From where I sit, my final takeaway is probably, you know, hybrid work is here to stay. If you're a business that is not offering your people flexibility, then you're living in the last century. The future of work is, you know, it's all about that emphasis on people and culture and then how does the technology and how does the physical environment come into play to support that? And then, you know, how do you continue to experiment with those things to figure out what works and what doesn't? So, yeah, look, hybrid work is here to stay. It's, um, you know, power to the people and let's support them in creating their own best future of work. Great. Thank you so much for your time. And if you do want to connect further with Angela, there will be some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea, you're busting to get out there please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.